listen, thank you so much for joining me. I know like these impromptu like chat sessions are just some of my favorite things lately about travel, uh, just cause the, yeah. you know, the interesting people I get to, to work with and, and meet and experience events with is just fantastic. Uh, and, and having these conversations in person versus like trying to do these remote things online just changes the dynamic. It's totally different. Completely. Yeah. Um, welcome everybody. This is maker that money, uh, the podcast where we're talking about turning your hobby into your jobby. I am Pooch, your host, and I'm with uh, a very special guest today, Mr. Scotty Allen, known as the, the I guess, Mr. Strange Parts. Uh, yep. You're known from from uh, being a very prolific YouTuber doing uh, factory tours in China. Uh, but le- let me let you tell the people kind of like the origin story, yeah. if you would. Well, the origin story. How long? How how long a story do you want? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, how far back should I go? It's your world, man. Um, I, I think the the idea is, you know, we're we're trying to help uh, inspire other makers ultimately that are looking to make uh, a living out of their their hobby in multiple yeah. ways. It doesn't have to be just about products. Yeah. A lot of it is uh, we talk to a lot of creators, you okay. know, and yeah. uh, speakers and writers and all sorts of stuff. So. Yeah. But that, that that's the idea. So. But I think it's important for people to have a sense of, you know, what you're at. So I'll let you dictate with your comfort level on the story. I'll start way back and give, and hopefully go quickly. Um, I originally thought I was going to be a lighting designer for theater. Um, That was my passion in high school. Theater nerd. Okay. Yeah. I was a theater nerd. Okay. And um, yeah, uh, thought I wanted to do that. I went to a small, I escaped high school early. Um, didn't graduate high school, escaped, um, and went to a small college called Simon's Rock in Western Massachusetts, Okay, which has dirt roads and about 350 students at the time. And most students go, um, after two years of high school and then do two years at Simon's Rock, get an associate's degree, and then transfer somewhere else to a normal college or university and do two more years and then get their bachelor's. So um, at this point you're, you're just trying to get your GED and this was a, an extension no, or beyond high school. GED. It's not a GED. No, no, no. It's, it's completing your, it's completing your high school though. You're, this is not, no, is, no, no, I never completed high school. Um, no, it's just a two, you just go straight to college, do two years of high school. Okay. Um, and then go straight into college and then you can either do two or four years at Simon's rock. If you do four years, you get a full bachelor's. Um, if you do two years, you get an associates and then all of those credits transfer to any, I mean, it's a fully accredited institution. That, I've never heard of this. Um, so it was common though, for people to come in with only two years of high yeah, school, you're saying. Yeah. I came in with more than that. I came in partway through my senior year. Wow. Okay. Um, and, uh, so I was very involved in theater there, basically ran the theater by the time I was leaving of course you did. on the technical side Yeah. and, um, did a summer internship and absolutely hated it. They treated their interns like crap. Um, I was working for room and board. It was super dangerous, like dangerous, terrible yeah. experience. Oh wow! Um, okay. And so I went, hmm, maybe I don't want to do that. Um, through a random set of events, ended up as an intern at a startup in uh, in New York uh, on at Fifty Wall Street or Fifty Broadway, which is right in front of the Bull statue down in oh, Wall Street. Oh wow! Yeah. Uh, in 99, they yeah. were doing uh, artificial intelligence. They were trying to create the the first true artificial intelligence. In 99? In 99. Wow. Ahead of its time. Sure. Um, and started as a, a system administrator. Um, ended up uh, leaving there to go be um, a system administrator um, for a buddy that I went to college with. This is during the dot-com boom. So it was kind of, you know, I was like, we were all kind of 
19, 20, and you could kind of write your own ticket at that point. You know, if you were smart and hungry and, and could learn on your own, you, you could do whatever you wanted. We ended up, three of us who were all under 21, ran a nationwide network of like 450 locations with T1s and all this stuff. So wow. immediately got my hands uh, into, you know, serious system and networking. And um, then through that, found programming and absolutely fell in love with programming. Yeah. And uh, ended up traveling. That's kind of where my, my love for Asia started. Um, I, I was making more money than a 20-year-old should at the time um, okay. compared to my ability to actually spend it. So I had saved up a lot of money. So I went and traveled for, I took all that savings and went and traveled in Asia for 16 months. Okay. Um, all over Southeast Asia, Australia. Um, fell in love with Asia. Um, but I also discovered that programming was really my passion. And so I went back and got my computer science degree, did another three years, got my computer science degree in Boulder, um, got hired straight into Google uh, out of there, okay. um, worked as a software engineer at Google for a couple of years on web search, um, and then ended up going and working at a couple of Silicon Valley startups. Um, kept getting smaller and smaller earlier in the earlier stage until I started my own. So I started uh, App Monsta in I think 2010. Did you say App Monsta? Monsta, Monsta. with an A. Okay, <laughs> yep. all right, all right. We uh, were doing um, uh, large scale crawling and big data analysis on the app stores, which were really hot at the time. Yeah. So we had customers like Samsung and T-Mobile and people like that, where we were basically selling them an API feed of the contents of the app store uh, every day that was, that was fresh. Wow. Right? Uh, we were basically building the API that Google Play and iTunes didn't have. Um, and uh, sold that business in 2020, right before the start of the pandemic. Perfect timing. Wow. Um, was never huge. You know, it was never really a startup in the sense of like funded or anything like that. It was bootstrapped. This was all bootstrapped. All bootstrapped. Was it you, um, just you? You and a partner? A, it was me. A, a group? It was me. And then I brought in a partner after, I don't know, like six months or a year. He was with me for about a year. He was more on the business side, but it wasn't, mm -hmm. it wasn't quite the right fit. So I went back to being a solo founder after that. He retained a small stake. Um, you, you gloss over like that, that that's not a, a big deal but I've, I've gone down or I've heard you know horror stories around this like that that it, it was just it wasn't a yep. good fit and you both were pretty amicable about that um, or, or it took a little time to kind of some divest time. like it. we're we're amicable now I think I think it took some time um, to sort of work through that interesting, um, interesting. what I will say is, and this is probably helpful to, to people listening is I was really clear on having a founder's agreement from the start yeah. and being really clear about founder vesting and things like that. Sure. So from a like comp perspective and stuff, it was pretty clear cut. Yeah. Um, uh, we did have to work out some like misunderstandings of <laughs> what he had signed, what it meant. Um, cause I was more familiar with the startup world than so, he was. So there so. was more, yeah, 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 I'll sign whatever you want. And then it yeah. was, oh, I didn't really, I didn't read quite understand what that meant. Uh, he had read it, it, but I think there was some misunderstanding of like how it would work in the, in the current circumstances. So but did, did lawyers have to get involved no. or was it? Well, I, okay. We had a lawyer that drafted documents, but we didn't, we didn't get to the point of like lawyers on both sides Understood. or anything. Um, and really how it ended up working out was that. He had vested, he worked for 13 months, I think, and yeah. he had just vested that 
that amount of equity in the company and I didn't have the cash to buy him out. And so he just continued to be a silent partner in the business. Okay. And um, I think at the time, like he might've preferred a different outcome, but in the end, like, I mean, we just paid out rep because it was a bootstrap business. We just paid out uh, profit over time. And I think it like, I, I get the impression he's very happy now. Like, it, and and it, then when it got acquired, he got a piece of that. So it worked um, out. It, it worked sounds, out great. It sounds yeah. like it worked out. I, I think he felt taken care of. Um, I felt, you know, I felt good about it. And, um, and then I brought up the first person that I hired as a programmer, I hired, uh, he, he lives in Slovenia, um, Luca. And, um, I hired him when he was partway through a CS degree as an undergrad. Okay. And he was with me for the entire, pretty much the entire lifetime of the company. Hmm. And in 2015, I decided, you know what, I'm really not enjoying running this company anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Like a lot of founders, I found myself in a place where the team had grown enough that it no longer made sense for me to be a technical founder. I was really spending all of my time on sales, which is like, it's the inevitable path for all founders. <laughs> if you stay in the business, you're going to be a salesperson at the end of the day. Well, but who's uh, better equipped to sell than right. like the person that it's their baby, they know it the best. It. Okay. So you went from a theater nerd to a tech bro. Yep. And I heard like a little bit about your love of Asia, you know, in yep. there, but I mm -hmm. assume we're coming back to that now. We are. We are. Okay. So 2015, I said, you know what? I really hate doing enterprise sales. Yeah. Our sales cycles were like nine months. Okay. Big, you know, Fortune 100s. Sure. Which was miserable. Um, and, or I hated it. Um, I think it takes a certain DNA to really like that type of sales, yeah. Um, yeah. which is not mine. And so I, I kind of hit my breaking point. I said, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes to not do it anymore, including shutting the company down. Yeah. So I went to Luca and I said, Luca, do you have any interest in running the company? And yeah. Luca had matured a lot as a developer and as a person and a leader at that point. Um, you know, he was a, a technical leader at the company at, the, at that point. Um, and he said, yeah, I'll give it a go. And, wow. uh, and so right. he stepped into a COO role and a salesperson role, okay. which we were always a fairly technical company. So we, we had hired various salespeople at times, but they never sold as well as the engineers did, <laughs> you know, as well as I did or Luca did. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay. <laughs> because, and we had this interesting advantage, which is like, if you have an engineer doing the sales, you never in a position where a customer asks you a technical question or a nuanced question yeah. and you can't answer it immediately. Yeah. You know, you're never like, oh, I have to go ask an engineer. Which, you know? which has to instill a level of confidence in yeah. your, you know, buyer yeah. that, yeah that's, yeah, that's great. Yeah. And so you have this level of credibility. For sure. Kind of, you know, by the first or second meeting yeah they know they know that you know what you're talking about yeah. and you can move relatively quickly on that side of things and then it's just really a matter of like navigating the corporate hierarchy kind of thing and working out budgets and price points and stuff okay. um so lucas so Luca took over and i i had started the company in 2010 with the goal of going nomadic i had read four hour work week by tim ferris oh, which i actually have a signed copy i didn't really realize. you've met tim ferris no no you just got a signed copy. i got a signed copy in a bookstore in mountain view california uh, yes. that i just i had found this book on the shelf while i was wandering through the bookstore and went this looks interesting i mean it does feel like it falls in the realm of entrepreneurial canon at this point like yeah. everybody's heard of four hour work week yeah 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 and read it oh, yeah well i don't know if everybody's read it i've read it it's yeah. yes I'm yeah i'm familiar um, with the concepts yeah Definitely like sparked a, sparked a, you know, a fire in me of like, okay, I want to do this. Yeah, and, um, yeah. and so 2015 was kind of that moment where I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. I had, I also had a, an unfortunate but serendipitous apartment fire, which if you're ever looking to like get rid of a lot of stuff, 
Have I can f- highly recommend a small apartment fire. The goal is to not have it burn your stuff, but yeah. just have a lot of smoke damage. So that now, because the problem is when you move, <laughs> when you move, uh-huh. the easiest thing to do is to put stuff in boxes. Right. Right. Because it requires zero decision. Right. This box. Goes but if you have an apartment fire and everything gets smoke all over it, now cleaning it is more work than hanging on to it. You're like, how much do I really want? This. Yeah, and the answer is for a lot of things, if it involves some level of effort to keep it, you'll just get rid of it. I, I can share an interesting, just aside, just to cut in really quick. But we, I, I live in uh, um, the the Sierra Nevada foothills in California, so we're in a yeah. high fire danger area. And for the first time ever, like last summer, is actually this is two summers ago now, we had a wildfire that was close enough where they gave us an evacuation order. And it's it's kind of jarring when you get that like evacuate immediately. Yeah. And so I like run into the house and I start looking through stuff and I'm like, okay, what do I need? What do I need? I'm like, I don't need any of this. Yeah. Like, yeah. And it was an interesting exercise. Yes. So so you've Absolutely. experienced similar. Now, thankfully, yeah. nothing ended up happening, and I didn't. Uh, yeah. Maybe maybe not thankfully because I could always stand to purge a little bit more. But yeah. yeah. Anyway, and I didn't really lose anything. Like I lost a couch and some yeah. things. Okay. Um, but most of it, it was just a, a question of like weeding through all my stuff, figuring out what I wanted to keep yeah, and what I didn't yeah. want to keep, put everything in storage and started traveling and went back to Asia. Um, you know, I'd been back to Asia since my big trip, um, here and there, but I, I went back for, you know, considerable lengths of time at that point. Okay. Um, was pneumatic for, I don't know, a couple of years and then was kind of looking for my next adventure, right? Like I took like a year off and just kind of was a bum and, yeah. you know, hung out with cool people and did cool stuff. And, and, um, but I was like, you know, I, the, I hadn't sold the company at this point. The company's just running in the background and I'm getting, you know, I'm, I'm basically able to cover my expenses. Yeah. And I, but I'm, but Lucas running the company. Right. Okay. So I'm, I'm spending a day a month, right? Like I'm, I, yeah. you know, I have one phone call a month with Luca and I'm like doing all the bookkeeping and accounting and paying the bills. Um, seems pretty nice. A pretty sweet spot. But I also sure. knew that like we had a very small market mm-hmm. um, and like very small total addressable market and we're reliant on a small handful of customers and like this wasn't going to last forever. Okay. Right. So I'm like, okay, what? And I wasn't, you know, putting tons of money away, right? Like it was supporting my lifestyle, but it wasn't, you know, a big cash cow. Okay. Um, so I was, I was thinking, okay, what's my next adventure here? And, uh, I decided that, well, I, I didn't want to go back into enterprise sales. I was thinking, well, maybe I'll, I'll go into some sort of physical product, right? And mm. so IoT is hot at the time. This is like 2015, 2016. Mm-hmm. IoT fits my skill set pretty well, right? I'm a pretty good software engineer, and electronics had always been a hobby ever since I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, well, that sounds interesting. And I'd, then I'd heard about Shenzhen of, well, if you want to make electronics, Shenzhen is it's, the place to go. It's the place to be, okay. So... I had in my head of like, well, maybe I'll go to Shenzhen and hang out there for a month or two and like prototype some stuff. <laughs> and then my friend Mitch Altman, yeah. do you know Mitch? No. Um, no. So Mitch uh, is often described by other people as the Johnny Appleseed of hackerspaces. Okay. Um, he started NoiseBridge in San Francisco. Okay. okay. Um, he's one of the two co-founders of that. Um, but he um, has spent a lot of his life just traveling around the world, teaching people to solder in soldering workshops and encouraging people to start hackerspaces. And he's probably responsible for, uh, 
I would say at least hundreds of hackerspaces getting started, but probably thousands. Uh, wow, just, that many? Are you serious? Yeah. So everywhere Mitch goes, he just leaves a, a, a trail of hackerspaces. Hacker yep. 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 That is yep. a claim to fame. I yep. would love to meet him someday. He's amazing. Okay. He's amazing. He okay. currently lives in Berlin. Okay. Um, uh, and he, uh, for a number of years, was doing a hacker trip to China. So he would invite people. He, um, his... Uh, his product, which supported him for many years, and I think he's still making it and still making money on it, is the TV Be Gone. So it is a keychain-sized device that it, like, it literally fits on your keychain that is a television remote, a universal television remote with one button, and the button just turns the TV off. <laughs> So it's that obnoxious thing. So if you're at the bar, you can just like, I'm going to shut that TV off. Yeah. Shut that TV off. Yeah, because he hates TVs, and, and it turns out many other people do too. <laughs> and, um, he, and he takes his aggressions out on all of them everywhere he goes. Yeah. Well, or I mean, he allows, like, he enables have, people to do that. Have you ever been in the, like, the airport lounge? Yeah, And it's sure, like 2 a.m., sure. and there's like you know Fox News blaring or CNN blaring. And there's no remote to be found. Nobody hates, nobody wants it on. Everybody hates it, yeah, right? Like, so yeah. I carry it when I go traveling for those How particular. Fun. What a great um, Okay. It's a perfect product and it's like, yeah, he's the perfect salesperson for it. And yeah. um, he sold many, many, many of them. And he has worked with a Chinese manufacturer to produce these for many, many years. Yeah. And so he goes back and visits them every year. And he started this hacker trip to China to have people join him, other hackers join him on his trip to China. And that turned into this like three week trip of like usually going to like three or four different cities and visiting various hackerspaces and makerspaces in China. Everybody on the trip kind of is doing something interesting and they give a talk about what they're doing. Mitch gives a talk about why you should start hackerspaces. Yeah. And, yeah. um, and, uh, so I, that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. And I said, okay, I'll go with Mitch. Cause Mitch, like China's a, a bit intimidating in that, there's very little English spoken. It's a hard place to travel, right? So yeah. it was like, it, it was easier to go with someone and go with a group who oh. was already going and like, okay. you know, kind of get a lay of the land. So I went with him and we flew into Hong Kong and uh, had a couple days there. And I had traveled pretty extensively in Asia at this point, but I had not been to Hong Kong or mainland China at that point. Right. And um, I, I remember having this experience where I walked into a, uh, I had I had previously been in Scotland and I bought a, a nice bottle of scotch with me. Okay. And I walked into a Seven Eleven to get some paper cups because we were all going to hang out and and um. That's, that's what you drink nice bottle of scotch out of. Yeah, exactly. Seven Eleven paper exactly. cups. Perfect. Yeah. Um, he's a classic guy. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I asked for six cups and she said, oh. And I went, hang loose. Like <laughs> she threw the shock at you. Okay. It turns out this is the Chinese hand sign for six. Six. Oh, so this, this is, is five. six. Okay. This is six. Oh, damn. Yeah. Okay. Seven. Sure. Why not? Eight. Is it, but nine. Is it, is it sign language or it's just this is common? Um, not like formally ASL or something. Like anybody on the street would know all of these hand signs. Interesting. Right? Okay. And then this is 10, okay. uh, which actually looks like the character for 10. Yeah. Um, or Roman numeral. Sure. Yeah. 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 Um, and... Uh, and so I was like, oh, I'm not in Kansas anymore. Like this is this is a different... like. I think I know what I'm doing, uh -huh. but I'm, I'm out of my element here. So All right. we cross the next day into Shenzhen and now I'm really out of my element, but I'm immediately in love. Like it breaks all of the stereotypes I had about China, like that, right? Like this is a town, a, a city of 17 million people. Yeah. There's giant skyscrapers, there's brand new subways. Like 
this is not the third world country I thought I was visiting. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, you know, first or second day we go to the electronics markets, which are just like blocks and blocks and blocks of like, you know, six story tall, like big marketplaces with all these little, you know, little booths with vendors selling switches and wires and buttons, and, you know, all this cool stuff. And, wow. And, um, immediately fell in love. So I, I continued with the rest of the trip. And then when we were done in Beijing, I didn't have an onward flight yet, so I immediately took a train back to Shenzhen and spent like another month there. Fell in with uh, a group of open source hardware hackers, um, loosely led by Ian from Dangerous Prototypes, which I don't, I don't know if you know. Um, I don't know. Uh, he um, is the creator of the infamous Bus Pirate. Um, okay. Uh, which I think I explained to you the other day when yeah. we were talking. Uh, it's basically like a. a development board that allows you to have a command line interface to things like I squared C and SPI and things like that. Um, basically gives you a command line interface to chips. Um, uh, and he, he had done some hacker, uh, what he called hacker camp. So he had had people come for three days to Shenzhen and he would sort of give them a lay of the land. So they would do one day of factory to one day of talks, one day of factory tours and one day of market tours. Yeah. And then kind of turn people loose. Well, it turns out like people don't want to fly halfway around the world for three days. So they would just stay on and everybody would meet up at Chinese barbecue. Every yeah. Night. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, um, and this is like, I'm getting to how I started strange parts. It's <laughs> integral to the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, but people would then stay for much longer. Right. They fell in love with Shenzhen the way I did. So we yeah. were, we were pretty much had this like, perpetual group of people at barbecue and people would come and go. It was kind of this revolving door of people. Yeah. But um, there was always a group going to barbecue pretty much every night to drink beer and, and eat barbecue. And everybody would bring whatever they'd found at the market that day, whatever they were working on. Some people were doing manufacturing, so they'd be at the factory during the day and they'd bring all their war stories from the factory. Wow. And I was just getting this master's level education in manufacturing. I mean, you're describing what sounds like an open air incubator, like uh, on incredible. Like that's yes. that's insane. I've, incredible. I've never even heard of such anything like yeah. this. this. Like is great. very fertile environment. Wow. For the right type of person. Like, like in the heart of it. Like in the heart of where like all of this is like happening. Three blocks from the markets. Yeah. Right. Like we're at the barbecue place that everybody wow. who's selling cell phones during the day yeah. is drinking at. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and so, I mean, like Ian had made tons of market contacts just sitting there drinking beer, like prior to doing Hacker Camp or anything you're like that. Networking, yeah. you're solving problems. Yeah. I mean, come on. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I hung up with them for a while and I was just spending more and more time in China. I was like coming and going and it got to the point where, well, I don't know. I think at that point I was, I was still coming and going, but I was spending more time in China than I was anywhere else. Mm -hmm. um, and kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do, what product I wanted to make. It turns out China's not like a great place to come up with a product idea because you're isolated from your customer. You know, mm. You're far better doing your product ideation and development in the West, assuming you're going to sell to a Western market, which if you absolutely should be doing if you're a Westerner. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like for a variety of reasons. Sure. Um, China's not a good market as a Westerner. Um, and then one night at barbecue, we were sitting around and someone from the British council comes to dinner and she was like, you know, I was walking through the cell phone markets on my way to the main markets. Mm -hmm. And we like, and I think 
there are all these parts there. I think maybe you could make your own cell phone. Like I bought a few parts and I think maybe you could make your own cell phone. And we didn't really know, we collectively as a group didn't really know much about the cell phone markets and viewed them as very opaque. Yeah. Um, it was really hard to tell what was going on. All the parts looked the same. It really wasn't geared toward Westerners at all, right? Mm -hmm. The main markets were starting to sort of clue in that Westerners had money and like you'd get a lot of attention there, but in the cell phone markets, not much. Hmm. There's nothing in English, you know, it was like hard to figure out. And so I was like, that's a really good idea. And then I didn't, we didn't, she went back to, to Britain, mm -hmm. like didn't really hear anything more yeah. about it. Um, and nine months later, sitting at the same barbecue place, there was a reporter there from Popular Mechanics who was doing a story about our group at barbecue. Yeah. Uh, and I said, you know, like I've had this idea bouncing around in my head ever since she mentioned this, you know, about building my own cell phone from parts that I bought in the markets. Like, is, do you think your audience would be interested in that? Like I was thinking maybe I'd make a video or something. And he was like, yes, you should absolutely do that. <coughs> and I will definitely write an article. Like, wow. please send it to me. And I was like, that was enough validation to go, okay, this is worth spending time on. And I spent a little, you know, I started to <coughs> dig into it and I was like, okay, there seems to be more iPhone parts in the markets and iPhone is definitely more, more like recognizable brand. It's not really seen as DIY in the way that like Android is. I'll go down the iPhone route. And like, I started <coughs> to dig into this and I started to shoot it as, you know, I thought it was gonna be like an episodic thing. Yeah. But the more I got into it, the more I realized that this rabbit hole was really deep. Like I was just learning all sorts of crazy things about the markets, right? Um, and just, uh, you know, story after story after story and, and was filming on my cell phone mostly and was just, was, was spending all my time sort of digging into the markets yeah. and none of my time editing. <laughs> Because yeah, I didn't yeah. really know what, I mean, I, I hadn't really made video at that point. I'd taken, you know, a video editing class in college and stuff, and I had the theater background. Sure. Um, but I wasn't, I didn't have any real serious video production experience. So got to the end, like, I think I spent <clears throat> two to three months um, figuring out, you know, figuring out this journey, right? This rabbit hole, um, you know, do I try and make my own logic board? That seemed too difficult. Um, I ended up meeting one of the top cell phone repair teachers in the world. Um, That's interesting. Uh, from Jilon, uh, cell phone repair school up in Guangzhou, went up and visited him and he said, mm, maybe it's possible, I wouldn't spend my time doing it. Like, it's not worth it. Um, so ended up building an iPhone 6S that worked and was like, <laughs> I wouldn't do it. And you're like, challenge accepted. Yeah. Well, I immediately dismissed that. Yeah. I, I thought about it. I poked at it a little bit and I went, yeah, I don't think this is, this is a future project. Okay. Um, yeah. And uh, because it's, there are so many components on these boards. Yeah. And how do you know if you have a single one wrong? And right, more like, and more every iteration of them yeah. too. Yeah, well, sure, sure. they've consolidated some, but they, the okay. boards have okay. gotten more complicated because now they're a sandwich board. So they're actually two circuit boards that's held together by a ring of tiny connections on this weird spacer in between. Mm -hmm. So it's it's actually quite difficult to make repairs to a board. Now you have to split them apart, and then oh. once you've split them apart, you can't test it. Um, so um. the repair markets have all sorts of crazy jigs to like get around this, but it's like it's gotten harder. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. All right. Uh, but there are, there are potentially fewer components now. Um, uh, 
so yeah, after like two or three months, made a working phone. And by this point, I had been going to barbecue every night, right? So I'm going to barbecue and I'm telling these guys what I'm finding in the markets. Right? Now was this called, it was called barbecue. Like you didn't have a name for this? Like everybody was just like, we're going to barbecue. No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it, we migrated barbecue places at one point. Like, so it was not even at the same place. It was within a block of each other. Okay. But, all right. Yeah. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, at one point we had, we, I think we, we migrated to a place we called car wash because it was, it was like in, a in the same alley as a car <laughs> yeah, wash. Yeah, okay. Um, so it, it's been a couple different places, but it's all within the same kind of two block radius. Yeah. Um, same group of people. It's just a WeChat group, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. the WeChat group is called like HQB Friends, Washang Bay Friends. Wow. Um, and, uh, and so I'm going to barbecue every night. And I'm telling them what I found, and they're fascinated. And what I realized later, fairly recently, like the past year or two, is that it was kind of the equivalent of how stand-up comedy, how stand-up comedians work on their material. Sure, yeah. I'm literally going and working out my story in front of new people every night, because this is a rotating cast of characters, right? Absolutely. And so I'm constantly getting new people who are all kind of the same demographic, well, right? Well, and, and are these all nomadic people? So people are coming and going because yeah. like, that's just the nature They're of They're not necessarily is, full nomads. You know, okay. there'll be people who, um, you know, have a full-time job and house and stuff, but they're coming for three weeks. Okay. Kind of thing. Okay. Um, uh, some nomads like me, um, other people coming there for manufacturing, like it's, you know, Interesting. a wide range. All right. <coughs> but so all sort of like... You're working on your material. Working on my material, working on the story, bringing parts, you know, this kind of thing. And by the time I've got a working phone, this is a pretty compelling story. Like people are pretty blown away yeah. by what I'm, you know, and the way I'm telling it and stuff. So then... <laughs> So then I finished that like right before Spring Festival, I think, something like that. And then I go down to Bali for Spring Festival because you don't want to stay in China during Spring Festival, it, particularly in Shenzhen. It's it, a madhouse? Like it just. Every, well, it's a madhouse and then everybody leaves, right? So. It's a madhouse to ghost town. Yeah. Wow. So 17, city of 17 million. Yeah. 85% leave during spring festival for a period of two to three weeks. Where do they go? All back to their hometowns. Nobody's okay. from Shenzhen. Yeah. Right. So um, they all go back home and nothing is open. There are no taxi cabs. There are no grocery stores that are open. No restaurants that are open. It's just like, like apocalypse level. Literally a ghost town. Like yeah. that's a, it's like everybody gets raptured. It's just yeah. such a swing. That's yeah. wild. Yeah. Okay. So you can like barely subsist uh ian has stayed there through spring festival i never have i feel like um, you could like go and camp out like there, yeah. there could be a whole thing but anyway, he said you could just walk down some of the major roads like like right down the middle of them you know <laughs> they're like wild. Okay. you know okay four lanes per side sure you know, kind of thing big boulevards and there's just, just no cars right yeah right. you just do whatever you want cool. um, all right uh so i went to bali and started working on the edit right of like and by this point I don't know. By, by the time I was done, I had 100 hours of shot footage. Right? Where, and so I'm just where like, are we in, in time here? What year is this? Like 20, beginning of 2017. Okay. All yeah, right. end, of, end of 2016, beginning of 2017. And so I start to dig into this footage, and I, I still think I'm making like an eight-episode thing. Okay. Right? Um, that's going to go up on YouTube as kind of a vlog, because I don't really know any better. And I had a friend recommend, well, why don't you make a trailer? 
right? Which is not how you make trailers. Yeah. Right? Like generally. In time. You know, like you need like a good Generally, voice you yeah. do your trailer after the fact, right? Because you don't yeah, really you've know. Got the footage. Then, yeah, right, right. right. It's, it's quite hard to like grab the snippets mm-hmm. out of a pile of raw footage and make a trailer. One minute. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I end up make what the, what I end up trying to make as a trailer becomes this 23 and a half minute video that is the story of me trying to make my own iPhone in China. Um, and, you know, I kind of iterate on it. I come back and I show it to Ian. I show it to some other people. I, I ran it past Bunny Huang at one point to get his opinion on, like, how to treat people in the markets because I was sh- shooting some stuff, like, um, kind of hidden camera style, and I wanted to make sure that I was being ethical in terms of uh. whose face to show and who's not to show and stuff. Okay. Um, and then I... And I, I had met a couple other reporters at that point who were all very keen on the story. And so, you know, I put together a big launch, come up with, spent two weeks coming up with the name Strange Parts. And, and that was my next question. So yeah. you, it took you two weeks to come up with a name. Post-it notes all over the apartment, just and, and walls like, of post What notes. was the epiphany? There was no epiphany. Oh, man. No. I thought, no. there was, there was Post-it no notes everywhere, and I thought there no. was like a, you know, the was, string is connected to all the things, like a whole no. Pepe Silva bit. I had yeah, the, no. I originally wanted to go with Delve, but Delve, Delve um, had there was other like yeah. the the domain names weren't available and yeah. stuff. So um, so I went with Strange Parts. I think you chose right there. I'm very happy with yeah. the name. Um, yeah. I wanted a brand that would last me 20 years that I could do many things under. And yeah. So it couldn't be too specific. <coughs> yeah, you um, can do a lot of stuff with that. Yeah. I like that. I yeah. like that. Very cool. Um, that is well, and I, I, I don't even know if we're at the end of it. But I was well, kind of the punchline here down. is yeah. then okay. then I post this video. Yeah, I tried to do an exclusive story with a couple different news outlets. One nearly, I won't say which one, but one nearly stole the story successfully from me. They tried to send a television crew to or video crew to Shenzhen and reshoot the story. Like with so somebody would, else? Yeah. Well, the they started trying to do it with me and then they approached Ian. Unfortunately, Ian's a very upstanding guy and he was like, you know, they're trying to screw you, right? What the heck, um, man? Yeah. Yeah. It was really dirty. Um, and it like knowing what I know now, I would have gone to their editorial board and been like, this is bullshit. You're getting written out of your um, own yeah. movie. Oh, your own it story. Okay. Really dirty. Wow. Um, and it is. This is a major publication? This is or the, a major... the top of the top. Yeah. What? Yeah. Oh, I'll man. tell you off. Off. Oh, off man. Air. Yeah. But <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Absolute yeah. tier one outlet. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I had offered them the exclusive on the story. Okay, so you're shopping exclusive, so then they, yeah. these guys try to bone you on it, and, yeah. then, and then what happened? Um, then tried to offer it to somebody else. They dropped it at the last moment because they said it was a conflict of interest because they had a reporter writing a book about the origin of iPhone parts. So I finally said, you know what? I'm just going to email. I had, I had a handful of reporters that I had collected, like had researched. I'm just going to email them. I'm going to put the story out there, see what happens. So I put it up on YouTube post to Reddit, email these reporters, and then kind of nothing happens, right? Like, it gets a few views. At this point, I was, like, pretty sure it had legs, right? I would have been happy if it had gotten, like, 50, 100,000 views, right? I thought yeah, that was, like, yeah. a, a serious, like, Val- serious validation. but attainable goal. Okay, right? all right, all right. Um, doesn't really do anything. And then somebody uh-huh. reposts it on Reddit. I was kind of early. Uh-huh. Gets reposted to Reddit. 
in the video subreddit and it takes off. It's like climbing the ranks. All of a sudden it's the top of videos. <clears throat> and then all of a sudden it's on the front page. Yeah. And then it's at the top of the front page. Yeah. And then it just stays there. Yeah. And now the reporters start responding. Of course. Yeah. And so course. I'm getting requests for interviews. I'm getting requests for television interviews. Yeah. And the other thing that happens is it, and it's just going viral at this point, right? It's yeah. all over the place. Yeah, it's a good story. Um, sure. And it's taking off on YouTube, right? Um, I've got friends emailing me that are like, you're on the homepage of my TV. What the hell? Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. when they open yeah. YouTube on the television, they're just getting yeah, my yeah. face. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> you're the thumbnail. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, but it also goes viral in China, which I was not at all prepared for. It goes viral on WeChat. Wow. And what is that like? It means I'm getting recognized on the street. Yeah. And I had, had not, that was not part of my thought process. Yeah. And there had been arrests in the markets the day before. Okay. Which is really poorly timed. Okay. So I'm very worried that I don't know what the reception is going to be. They're going to think you're the narc. And they think I'm the narc. Oh. Like I'm the reason that people <laughs> got arrested. Oh, no. And so I'm walking around with like a hoodie on oh, and like, no. yeah, turned out to be fine. Like, okay. Um, turned out. I was gonna say, I think you're a rather yeah. identifiable individual yeah. in the markets of Shenzhen. <laughs> yes. yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, okay. So, um, totally wild ride, right? Like, I go from what a nobody, trip. everybody just thinks, oh, it's some white dude, to like literally everybody in China knows who I am. Yeah. Overnight. Yeah. Right. Like, overnight. Um, and also in the West. And really, the whole goal of doing this video and starting the YouTube channel and making video content was to have this be a marketing channel for the electronics that I'm going to build. Sure. But all of a sudden this is too successful now. <laughs> I'm like, okay, how am I going to, how yeah. am I going to follow this up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So now I'm scrambling to do the next thing. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm like, well, I guess I'm a full-time content creator uh, at least really, for the foreseeable future. You, you really know. had lightning in a bottle though. Yeah. You know, how, how do you, how do you get the sequel to even, yeah. you know, well, you add the headphone jack back to an iPhone. Yeah, you right? do. So that's, yeah, that's what do. I did. And that, yeah. that hit. And then I was kind of off to the races. Okay, you know? so, so so you really <clears throat> leaned into the iPhone content and stuff, but yeah, okay, because I was immersed in that world. Like I'd been immersed in that world by by the time I put out the video, it had been five months of full time work. Yeah, um, I had really like doubled down on that first iPhone video, and you don't spend five months in a world like that that most other people don't know any thing about yeah without coming up with like a hundred other ideas yeah <laughs> right yeah there's a lot of opportunities to go back to that well it sounds yeah. like yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah totally yeah totally so that's great so you know immediately dealing with all of the challenges that most creators don't deal with for the first year or two so i get my first copyright strike uh or copyright claim okay within the first couple of weeks on a video sure. that's got viral okay for a song that i have paid to license well, that's obnoxious. Yeah. Okay. And, and so navigate at, that. At the time, was that a bit of a pain to deal with? Or have, yeah. has, the, and they, has the process gotten better? The licensing company blackmailed me. They black. Huh. So they basically like they know that they're they they can hold your video hostage, which which is definitely going to yeah. reduce your income pretty dramatically. I uh, wasn't uh, having any income at that point. Oh, there was, I, no, there was no partner. You were no rev share. It was the, the first video on my channel. I guess so. So but, I hadn't, but, I mean, I immediately qualified, but you still have to go through the, the, the approval the, process. Yeah, that's right. So I'm not running ads on it yet. Okay. So okay. they're, but they, because they claimed it, they're running ads on it now. What? 
<laughs> which man, you you've been dealing with some unsavory individuals. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So yeah, it was a resolve? rocky start. Like yeah, it was. It sounds like it because a lot of people like you kind of get your feet wet and you sort of you, you figure these things out gradually. Yeah. I got to face them all at once. You were just thrown right into the fire. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Yeah. So so I navigate that. I got away for six hundred bucks. I because I had paid. I forget what I paid. I paid. I don't know. Hundred bucks, fifty bucks to license the song from a what's supposedly a legit licensing company. And it was not legit. It was No, I mean, I know other people that license stuff through them. I just I don't like their business tactics. This is like a But why did you have to pay out then? If it was if it was legit, it I'll tell you. Uh, okay, you're so, just a pragmatic individual, and you said, "Let's just settle this thing." Yeah. Well, I didn't have any other option, yeah. right? Like, they had me over a barrel. Dis- so dislike a couple things. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's super dirty. Um. So they a couple things. I had because I had called the channel strange parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was still a single individual. I had used their individual license, individual creator license or whatever. All right. Um, they disagreed and thought that I should have a, a company or agency license. Yeah. Okay. But so the, the, the claim was not from them. It was from some other rights holder to the song. Right. Okay. Uh, and I was like, mm. so I went to them and I was like, take care of this. Like I paid you to clear the, the rights on this. Um, they came back and said, well, we don't agree that you have the right license. And I was like, okay. Um, and they said, by the way, do you realize that all of our licenses don't allow monetization? You can't run ads on a video that includes this song. And I was like, what are you talking about? What is the point of a royalty-free... Okay. Exactly. They said, <laughs> if you've read our terms and terms of service, you'll note that in paragraph 12... Yeah. It forbids monetization, which not mentioned anywhere in the checkout process for buying the license no. for the song. It is literally the terms of service of the website, okay. like the little link down at the bottom. But during the purchase, or they're trying to get you during the purchase, you had to check the box that said, I agree to the terms of service that nobody reads or not even that. I don't even know if it was that. Oh, geez. Yeah. Okay. Um, very opaque. Um, and I said, no, you know, like the channel isn't monetized yet, but you know, I'm planning on monetizing it as soon as I can. And they said, well, you need a custom license. You need to talk to a salesperson. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, the video's, you know, still hugely viral, right? It's doing millions of views, right? Sure. I mean, the video's done 25 million views. Now at the time, it probably had millions, right? Yeah. Single digit millions. So now I'm in a discussion of like, okay, like how expensive is this going to be? Yeah. yeah. Got away for 600 bucks, but, uh, uh, but really dirty. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, you're po- yeah. really dirty. So I'm learning a lot of hard lessons here along the way, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Um, so, but I know that I've, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, riding the dragon, right? Like this is, yeah, you are. You know, I'm just strapped to the rocket and you, trying to not let go. You, know? you really are, and I just don't even know to take the. I mean, this is hands down the best origin story I've ever dug in on in, in multiple fronts because it's just like you've covered a lot of ground. It sets a great basis of of discussion in terms of like your your entrepreneurial experience and, and lessons learned. And we'll, of course, get to, to that stuff. But uh, you've, you're, you're, you're at square one here, and you know I, we, we see the basis. Um, and you're obviously in to the extent where you're willing to pay blackmail to, to right. just let you move on. <laughs> yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So, so that's, I mean, that's fantastic. So, yeah. I mean, it's not, but it is, but, but you're, yeah. you're, you, you've drunk the Kool-Aid at this yeah. point. You yeah. are a I'm YouTuber. In. I'm squarely in. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and you've learned a lot of quick and painful lessons. Yes. Okay. Yep. And so where did we go from here? So then it was just a matter of like, okay, how do I keep replicating this? Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and really like, I, I would say like the short version of the next six or seven years, really the theme is how do I make this sustainable? Mm -hmm. And I, and what everybody jumps to is money, right? When I talk about sustainable and it's actually not what I've struggled the most with, right? Because like I was lucky enough to have a big audience right away, right? Like I hit a hundred thousand subscribers within those first couple of weeks, right? Like sure. I immediately can be full. I mean, I've already been full time on this for five months because Atmos is supporting me, yeah. right? But I can continue being full time on this and getting to the point where financially it's supporting me is not a problem. Okay. The issue <laughs> is that I have spent five months on my first video of full-time work. Yeah. And two to three videos a year does not a YouTube channel make. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> right. okay. Okay. Um, and like I made some decent ad revenue on that first video, but again, like even if I was only making two or three videos a year, not really sustainable, right? Like, mm. um, so now I'm in the position and, and really like the past seven years I've been figuring out how do I put out content regularly without burning myself out, right? Mm. Like without working 12 hour days, seven days a week. And that is um, the million dollar question. Yeah, yes. Okay. Yeah. And so really it's been a matter of figuring out like, you know, I've set the bar so high in terms of this like really ambitious engineering project, yeah. right? Um, both with that and then the headphone jack video. Yeah. How do I start producing content more often? Um, you know, how do I build a team? Like, how do I choose content that's maybe um, a bit more predictable in terms of schedule? How do I build up robust monetization so I'm not just reliant on YouTube ads because mm -hmm. um, those ebb and flow? you know, all of these things, mm -hmm. right? And then how do I continue to foster this community? Um, yeah. And then I think another big inflection point in that story, and we can get into more depth if you want, um, but another big inflection point, uh, kind of two related ones is like, I come back for, so I start living in China full time, basically at this point, like I start renting an apartment. Okay. Um, I'm spending most of my year there. Um, China's just like ripe for content, right? Like it's, I literally walk out of my apartment and B-roll is just like waiting for me. Like just shooting like scooters driving down the street is interesting. Right? Yeah. So like, okay. so like, and the markets are right there. Like I'm living right, I'm living walking distance from the markets. Right. So they're super photogenic and then there are just factories all over. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's an easy place to make interesting content. Sure. But it's also a really difficult place to live and get everyday things done. Right. Like, uh, and would you say, especially as a Westerner? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, especially as a non-Chinese speaker, right? Like that's sure. that's the real barrier is that I'm not fluent in Mandarin. I speak some, but I'm like survival level. You, so you, right. you've been learning, but then did you de did yeah. you decide it was worth like ha having a handler, for, like hiring somebody to help with I this? I have, yep. Yeah. So early on, early on, I hired a Chinese cameraman who okay. approached me, who uh -huh. said, like, within the first week or two after that first video came yeah. out, he was like, I'm a huge fan, I wanna help you out. Okay. Um, and so we started, I started working with Jen Xu to film, like, factories and things like that, so he could translate when we were out doing that. Okay. I had people helping me with translation in the markets for more complex things. Um, I've hired kind of fixer-level folks and translators at various times. Um, and then December 19 comes around, I fly home for Christmas 
And actually, like by this point, we're in talks to sell at Mazda, um, mm -hmm. which I ended up selling in February. So I spent a couple months in the US and I'm starting to hear stuff on WeChat about this virus in Wuhan, they're locking down Wuhan. And like, I had enough context at this point to know you don't lock down a city of 30 million people right before Chinese New Year unless something big is happening. Mm -hmm. And I'm supposed to, by this point I'm like starting to think about like, how do I branch outside of just China, right? I've done a lot of content in mainland China. I wanna start looking at like Vietnam, tariffs are a big thing at this point, stuff's being pushed into Vietnam. So I was gonna go do a scouting trip for a couple weeks to Vietnam, see what was there in terms of the electronic scene, figure things out. And I go, eh, I'm gonna wait on that trip. Like, I'm still working on this Hat Monster deal. I'm gonna hold off, just see what happens with this virus. And then, you know, COVID starts, right? Mm -hmm. And so, can't go back to China, right? China's closed, right? Um, yeah. And so now I'm like, well, and I can't go to Vietnam, I can't do all of this other stuff. So now I'm like, crap, what content do I make? And I kind of hit this lull where I'm like, all of the content I'm making is not really viable right now. What the hell do I make? You know? Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, start trying to like build up a workshop and do more studio based stuff. That's kind of rough. And then I get a concussion. Um, <sighs> and that, and so that takes me out for like a year plus. And so really now I'm kind of in that rebuilding phase of like having had a, a very quiet channel for a couple years now rebuilding and getting back to making regular content. So prior to the concussion, how many videos did you have at that point? <sighs> Roughly. Like, uh, I want to say like between 60 and 70 probably, yeah, somewhere yeah. in that range. Yeah. And now I'm thinking... And the like, channel had been running for a few years. Running well, like four years maybe? Something yeah. Like that, three or four years? Sure. Yeah. So the, and you feel like you went through a little hibernation. So, so yeah. this is interesting as we we're telling the, the seasons of this, but, but before we get to that, let's jump back a second yeah. because, you know, obviously people are going to listen to this uh, as aspiring creators and whatnot, and they're going to be like, well, it's a really fascinating story, but this cannot be typical as far as people's yeah. journey into it's content not. creation, right? Like we don't all have like lightning in a bottle right. or this like amazingly viral yeah. moment. It's a long, slow burn for a lot of people. Yeah. And the landscape is certainly different now than it was, uh, you know, for a sure. decade ago or I mean, arguably in a lot for of sure. times. So, you know, let's let's dive in on some of this uh there's there's a there's a lot of tasty morsels here in the, in the sense of like to tie it back to entrepreneurship you you pull from a rich history of work experience and yeah. all that stuff you've had a bootstrapped business that you've sold on your own you're kind of thinking i want to be an indiepreneur now there's an entire like i was talking at lunch about this there's like just entire uh sections of like twitter and uh, online talking about like solopreneur indiepreneur yep. like i'm gonna go live in thailand and i'm gonna do a software as a service business usually yep. it's like Absolutely. something like that right yeah um which is cool because like it allows people to have this travel lifestyle and they yeah. just like low go somewhere where it's low expenses and it's kind of nice yep. to be and usually they're pretty young and they don't have like family that they're tethered sure. to and stuff so i, I hear kind of commonalities in your, your story yeah. or your wanderlust and all of this stuff. Yeah. You've experienced all of these things. So somebody, but let's just focus on the content creator bit. Sure. Content creator hears all this and they say, well, this is great. It's a cool story, but like what nugget am I taking away? You know, how do we start to get into Scotty's advice in yeah. terms of like, how do I build my viral I mean, I have parts a, video? I have a piece of or, advice uh, that channel. I think is, is contrary <laughs> to most advice you hear. Ooh, I like that. Which is, so... I think a lot of people have been a lot of people who want to become content creators get coached on um, 
you need to make you need to make a bunch of content and you need to make it regularly. So consistency is key yeah. as we always you hear. You need to be releasing a video a week. You need to be releasing a video a day. You need to be, you know, whatever it is, right? I mean, arguably um, I'd say consistency is the key to success in most of the things in our life. I mean, business at least to certainly, you know, yes. like you don't get to just like, eh, do it and then I don't do it. And maybe I'll, you know, right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're uh, in, you have to show commitment to this. I'm going to say that I don't think consistency is key. Oh, okay. no, no, that's good. Yeah. So, don't let me put words in your yeah, mouth. So, yeah. so, but it is certainly the common advice. And I, I think there's a place for consistency. We can get into that. I don't, if you're starting out, uh-huh. I don't think that releasing content consistently, consistently is the best thing you can do. The best thing you can do is make amazing content. Right. Ah, okay. So releasing content for the sake of releasing content is not, and, and that's, and that's the pitfall the that most people enter because they're like, I have to get content. They're out. like, I have to get something out. So I, I may as well, re- and I only have a certain amount of time. So I may as well just release a mediocre thing. I gotcha. And then they do it again and okay. then they do it again and then they do it again. And they're constantly releasing these kind of mediocre things that if they had spent more time on them and really invested, they would have an amazing piece of content. Uh-huh. And I'll actually kind of steal a theme that Jimmy, Mr. Beast, uses a lot, um, which is that the return on investment for content is not linear. So putting 2x the effort into a piece of content does not yield 2x the results. It yields more than 2x the results, right? Mm-hmm. So I think... I. Was I in the right place at the right time with the right idea? Yes. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't my idea, mm-hmm. right? But I think the fact that I invested five months into making this video very much mm-hmm. has a lot to do with the amount of success that I saw from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I've said, it's also been, it's been both, I think, the key to that early, you know, huge rocket ship launch of a channel but also has been my Achilles heel <laughs> in that I set the bar very high for myself. You did. <laughs> right. Um, but I think that a lot of creators would be well served to... So the, let me go back to the consistency piece. Sure. Consistency does play a part, which is every day I got up and worked on that video. Okay. And that's the consistency you need. You Con- need to be constantly putting effort into it. Consistency of effort. Putting in the work. Yes. And I think that for more mature channels like mine now, okay. consistency is really important, okay. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. In terms of retaining the audience, building audience behavioral patterns where yes. they're, they're used to checking in on you regularly. Yes. Um, but I think early on, the best thing you can do is be consistent about the effort that you're putting in, yeah. right? And continually yeah. putting in effort. I probably reshot most of that first video at least three times. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. So a lot of that video, and I don't talk about this a lot, but a lot of that video, a lot of the pieces of like me walking to and from the markets and things like that yeah. was recorded two or three times. Really? Um, yeah. Just, um, but I would say just more, you know, just transitional pieces or not. Yeah. Not, and not kind of explanatory and stuff. Okay, okay, yeah. yeah. Um, I probably shot it once in the actual moment okay. and then I like reshot it sometimes uh, sometimes it was like a technical issue, like I needed better audio. I got an audio recorder partway through it. Mm-hmm. I was shooting on an iPhone 6S and a little RX100 point shoot. Okay. And I eventually got a, a Zoom H1 to sort of clamp to the bottom to get better audio. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it was a matter of like refining the storytelling. Like once I got into the edit, I figured out, oh, like 
what I have is too long or it doesn't explain the right thing or it doesn't get me from this part in the story to that part in the story. Mm -hmm. It needs to be this instead. So I would go back out and, and pretend I was in the moment again and kind of, you know, it, it is acting in the sense that like I'm recreating what happened, but faithful to the faithful to the journey, right? Like I'm not changing any facts about it. I'm just kind of recreating it to work well for the story. It's storytelling. Um, it's yeah, storytelling. Yeah, I don't yeah. think anybody would fault um, you for that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, I need to be careful about it though. Cause you know, I did actually build an iPhone. I did actually put the headphone jack back in. Sure. But yeah, sometimes you need to reshoot stuff to work for a visual, visual storytelling medium. Hmm. Um, and I think that's something that particularly beginning creators, like if you can shoot a video mm -hmm. and then and edit it, you know, come up with a rough edit and then watch it yourself for first and go, eh, like this could be tighter, right? Like this is a big thing is like, and now we're getting into the like nitty gritty of video, but mm -hmm. one of the pieces of advice I ran across was come up with a rough edit mm -hmm. and then cut it in half and don't cut it in half by just like taking off the second half, like cut the length in half by shortening, like go through and find everything you can remove out of that video until that, it. until you break the story, until the story no longer works at all. Right? Like shave off. I mean, I was shaving off like half a second towards the end. Oh, wow. Right. Just so you, you cut it by half and yeah. then you, and then you try and cut it in half again and you keep doing it. Until you literally exercise. can't cut anything more. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. Um, and and it's it's really this like distillation process where you're mm -hmm. starting because I started with a hundred hours, right? Oh wow. Yeah. You right. So I'm I'm just boiling down. I didn't start with a hundred hour timeline, but like yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, we've had videos where we're starting with a five hour timeline, right? Yeah. Like we've we've shot two hundred hours. It's and we're boiling it down and boiling it down and boiling and crunch and crunch and crunch and crunch and crunch. And you, just like distillation, when you distill a liquid, mm -hmm. right? When you distill alcohol, it gets more and more potent, right? Yeah. And so if you're, if you're dedicated to making sure the story <laughs> still works, but shaving as much as you can, you end up with this really potent nugget of a story at the end. And in that process, if you are faithful to really being critical of yourself, and how can I make the story better, right? How can I get how can I get this scene instead of a minute to be 30 seconds? Now that it's 30 seconds, how do I get it down to 15 seconds? How do I get it from three sentences down to one sentence, right? Yeah. How do I get it from a sentence down to a phrase? Yeah. How do I get it from a phrase to an exclamation? How do I get it from an exclamation to just a B-roll shot? Yeah. You know? I mean, I can see why it took you five months to get this thing. Right, because yeah, I'm yeah. learning this all yeah, as I'm like, yeah, going yeah, along, yeah, right? Sure, I don't know any sure, of this sure, going sure. in. Yeah. But I think as a as a creator on pretty much any type of video, you can do this. Like maybe not a podcast, yeah. but like pretty much anything else where you're telling a story, you're telling a journey, you can come in and not only work on your edit, but then go and reshoot stuff, right? Yeah. And go and reshoot two or three times. Like don't reshoot forever, yeah. right? I think there is like yeah. an analysis paralysis you can end up in. Uh, certainly. But, you know, and start showing it to friends, right? That's the other thing I did. So Ian was like screening it to this. Too. I'm literally screening it for friends and I'm yeah. watching when they're getting bored. 
right? I'm watching yeah, when they so start to look the, away. You're doing the focus group. Yeah, literally. Yeah. And I did that for a number of videos. Wow. Um, would sit down with people and I would watch when they start to pick up their phone or they start to look away or they start asking me questions. I've never heard of this process before. I mean, this is interesting. I mean, this was partly, I think, just coming out of like doing software. We do usability studies yeah, where yeah, we, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. sit down at a coffee shop and blending some interesting yeah. learnings from different um, ventures. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I was like, well, you know, I'll try. No, it, it. makes um, sense. Yeah. And it worked. Um, um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that's my biggest advice is like o over, like, I think Jimmy would say like over invest in your content. Right. Mm -hmm. And the same thing goes for not just your video, but like everything else, right? Like your title. I come up with 50 to hundred titles for a video that before many? I pick one. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I usually have it boiled down to like five by the time that I'm ready to release the video. And okay. if one doesn't perform, I'll try and switch it to something else. Okay. Um, and then we, we generally produce... I like to have at least three thumbnails mm -hmm. that we've like fully produced three separate ideas for thumbnails. Each idea will probably have four or five different variations mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. of like slight tweaks, but um, well, and now with the benefit of AB testing and all that stuff, like yep. you don't necessarily have to hit it that right. hard. You can actually let yep. the system kind of help yep. let the cream rise to the top. But uh, okay. So let's switch gears for a second and talk about like the, the maker mentality because sure. this is the, the other side, um, or, or the other common thread, obviously you, you have, you exhibit a lot of this, you interact with a lot of the, what we would call, you know, makers and, in, in, in sure. the, the common threads of, I don't know, um, our, our ambitions, our, our desire to just make cool shit, whether it's content, whether it's yeah. product and all this stuff. But then the, the, the things that we run into when we're actually trying to do this professionally, a lot of the time yeah. is the fact that what you were talking about earlier, we get bored when we try to do like make 10,000 of something versus yeah. one of something. Yeah. And you know, it took you a little while, I think to find your path in terms of what you were doing. It For sounds sure. to me like even entrepreneurially you were, you know, trying different things before you found something. And yeah. it's not to say that who knows what you'll be doing in the next 10 years, sure. but, but yeah. you know, you're in your content creation now. Can you speak to that in terms of like w your journey and yeah. how do, how do people find their way and how do you get some focus, especially amongst a population that is not necessarily known to focus well, if that's yes. fair? Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. And that hundred percent applies to me. I think, I think a lot of, it's interesting. I, I have gotten feedback from the start from that very first iPhone video of, people being sort of inspired by my persistence. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I've never seen myself as someone who is particularly good at finishing things. <laughs> and it's really been a learned skill. Yeah. Um, I, really something that I worked on hard kind of when I first started at Monsta was realizing that the fun part was the first 80%. Mm -hmm. And the last 20% was the part where you got paid. Mm-hmm. And that if I wanted to work for myself, I really had to put the effort into that last 20%, even if it was really painful. Um, and so I got better at finishing things and just like forcing myself to finish things. Um, it was not always pleasant. It's still not pleasant, right? Like yeah. it's not, it's not fun. Yeah. Um, uh, I think the other piece to it, well, there's a couple other pieces. So the other one is that As soon as I started working on the second video, I felt the pressure from the audience of like, okay, what are you going to do next? When is yeah, the next yeah, video yeah. coming? Yeah, yeah. And that 
What have you done for me lately? Right. Exactly. That pressure has been helpful in terms of, it's both been helpful and very stressful in terms of really forcing myself to like keep my eye on the ball and mm. keep going. And whenever I lose that sense of urgency, I get into trouble, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. As soon as I, I feel like I can coast for a bit, then I, then I get off the rails. Um, uh, so that's been helpful. And then I would say the third thing that's really interesting about making projects specifically targeted to tell a story on video yeah. is that I don't have to do a lot of the productionization effort I would do um, if I was making a product, yeah. right? So, you know, like when I'm making a crazy iPhone project, I just have to make one. Yeah. And I don't want to lie in the sense that you know, I'm never, I'm never like doing anything with fancy camera tricks or whatever, mm -hmm. but I will say like, at the same time, I don't have to worry about things like waterproofing, right? Like there are a bunch of things that like, if you were going to sell an iPhone, yeah. you would spend man years on. You're not subject to the same. That I just don't have to worry about. Right. Sure. And so it's really nice in the sense that I like, I have to just make something that tells a cool story and looks good on camera. Right. And for me, that's the fun part. Mm -hmm. And all the stuff that would go into like waterproofing or packaging or like all of that stuff is it's that last 20% yeah. and I, that I don't have to do. Yeah. Right. So, you know, for me, that last 20% is, is making sure that it visually looks good. Right. Yeah. Like things like that. Yeah. Um, and then the last 20% of really like getting the edit perfect and things like that. So I have found that to be freeing in a lot of ways mm -hmm. where yeah, I don't feel like I have to grind through kind of the later stages of productionization and things like that. I think I think this is really... I, the, part of the reason I focus on talking to content creators a lot of the time is that one of the common messages I, that I've, I've found right, is in terms of success uh, in business a lot of times is that if you have an audience you can sell a mediocre product, whatever it may be, whether it's an actual yeah. product or a, an idea or a class or a book or whatever it might be. And so we, we get into, um, uh, a lot of times people are like, I'll start a YouTube channel or whatever. And in the efforts to, to support, um, whatever it is that, that, you know, we're trying to get off the ground, uh, you know, our projects ideally are, yeah. are, are living and stuff like yeah. that. You you obviously have the advantage of like it came fast and furiously, yeah. You know, for you. But um, would you agree with the the effort put in? I mean, in the in the great um, marketplace of ideas and things that where everybody is just trying to shout above the noise, right? Yeah. Uh, what what do what do we do to allow ourselves to get comfortable with? selling and marketing ourselves like because yeah. this journey is not for everyone but yep. if you do not sell if you do not market your business will die it is the lifeblood yeah you know having that money is the lifeblood of whatever you do yeah um that's a good question and there are a couple different ways i could take that mm. um i mean i think there i think what you're really driving at is like that comfort in asking people for money is that yes that, that's that's, that's certainly part of it that. because i think a lot of makers don't aren't pretty they there's a negative view of the sales side yeah. that feels smarmy or whatever it might be yeah and i've struggled with that mm -hmm. um over the years i i really had come into it thinking that strange parts was was just going to be sort of a marketing channel for my own product 
Um, and I'm still not there, right? I'm well, seven and years that, in. And that's, and that's interesting. So have you yeah. sold product per se? I mean, I nah, feel like you've had little project really. ideas you've told yeah. me about in the past, but I, not really productizing anything. No, I, I haven't. And, and part of it is really, it's, it's been, it's felt like I've constantly had to play catch up on the content side on producing enough content. Yeah. I finally feel like I'm getting to the point where I understand how to do that reliably mm -hmm. um and i'm hoping that 2024 is really the start of kind of the product era of strange parts um i have some some interesting ideas that i want to want to productize um so really like up until now most of the revenue for the channel has come from youtube ads and then sponsorships and then recently i started doing patreon mm -hmm. um i've done a few kind of merch level projects mm -hmm. never really made like, never made a significant profit, mm -hmm. um, profit off of merch. Mm -hmm. Partly because I've always been dumb enough to do them as limited edition, like limited quantity. You think is, that's dumb? You yeah. Think, really? Um, because the, the work into going and setting up, uh, like setting up a product, right? So the, so the, the effort that goes into... Um, figuring out manufacturing, like figuring out sourcing, manufacturing, packaging, um, setting up the sales website, like all of that stuff is, it's a fixed cost regardless of how many you sell. Yeah. And so if you're only going to sell a hundred, yeah. you, you now are amortizing that sunk cost across a hundred rather than why, like why limit it up front? Right, like, why not do it as an ongoing product? Well, because makers don't want to keep selling product. I mean, like that. Right. I think that's why we fall into the trap. I just yeah. laugh about this because I had Bob Claggett on uh, and Jen Schechter uh, two weeks ago, and Bob was saying like, I like doing limited runs because it's like that yeah. defines a beginning and an end point. But yeah. I, I think that that certainly feeds into that like, and then I want to go into the next project. Right, but the reality is that like doing your second production run of a product yeah. should be significantly not only easier, yeah. but cheaper. Because you've and had faster, all that, that learning right? and stuff. Yeah, yeah sure. I mean, you've done 95% of the you've work. The, the actual work. making the thing Free the is the easiest part, sure. right? Like yeah. the, just, just turning the crank again should be relatively easy. And I'm, yeah. I'm sure you know with your products, right? Like, sure. like all of the work setting up a new product is far more than producing more of an existing product. Right, right. right. So, um, you know, the, the first product I did was these, it was for the headphone jack video and it was these framed piece of artwork with uh, sort of multimedia. It was this, it was this print of like a hand-drawn iPhone with some of the parts inside and then the, um, the actual circuit board that I used for the headphone jack sort mm -hmm. of pasted into it. And I did them as a limited edition signed thing. And I think, I can't remember whether we made a hundred or 250. Mm -hmm. um, regardless, it turns out that signing anything more than a hundred times is like real work. <laughs> This is what we talk about with Jen. It's like you don't realize how much like a hundred of something actually is until you actually make it. And you're like, it doesn't sound like a lot yeah. though, right? Yeah. And then you're like, yeah. oh my God. A hundred pieces this of paper is isn't a big deal. Miserable. But as soon as you've got a hundred, <laughs> yeah. like as soon as you have to yeah. like unbox a hundred picture frames and yeah. like composite, you know, you've got Matt yeah. Ward and you've got oh, like, we yeah, I mean, I hired drama. like Jun Shu yeah. and two of his buddies and like we were in my little studio apartment and like, yeah, I mean, just hours and hours and hours and hours of this. <laughs> Uh, I guess it wasn't Shinshu, it was Galen at that point. Okay. Um, and like a couple of his buddies and like, I broke even on it, yeah. right? Um, okay. okay. 
And then, well, I broke even, and then it turns out that shipping anything with glass in it is a terrible idea. Like, <laughs> you don't say. A ton of them shattered, and yeah. that was a whole, a whole. And yeah, then you gotta make it right. Yeah. Dumpster fire, and like, yeah, you gotta make it right. And um, turns out packaging is harder than you think. <laughs> yeah, you have to actually think about it. And shipping things <laughs> yeah. and yeah. international shipping of yeah. things. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, yeah, it just turns into this whole thing. And sure. I did another limited edition, like when we did the the wireless cell phone, which was upgrading, I think an iPhone seven to have wireless charging. Okay. I was like, um, uh, cell phones are all wireless. Yeah. They weren't That's at the time. A, yeah. Okay. They weren't at the time. No, no. Wireless charging. Yes. Yeah. I understand. Um, but <laughs> we had done these really cool custom strange parts, phone enclosures that sure. had the strange parts logo and it was, they were gorgeous. Yeah. Um, but there had to be separate tooling for every model of iPhone you wanted to do. So I was like, okay, I'm just doing iPhone 7. Okay. Which, like, there aren't that many people who have specifically an iPhone 7 who are ready to take it apart. And, like, yeah. so we made 100 of those, and, like, those took forever to sell. Yeah. And so it was, like, part of this journey has been learning to be careful about what I commit to. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Particularly when it comes to making product. Yeah. And then I, I think the other piece is really, like, whatever I commit to doing it on an ongoing basis because yeah. I'm going to spend that upfront cost anyway. So I may as well have it as a recurring revenue stream rather than a one-time revenue stream. Um, sure. So how much of business is learning what not to do? All of it. All, all <laughs> most, most of it. I don't know. Right. Yeah, probably yeah, not all of it. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. Um, a yeah. lot of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's certainly like the most painful part of it. Yeah. Like I think, I think learning what like, Finding things that work and coming up with the new ideas is the fun and easy part. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, and it, which is not to say it's trivial. It's for me, the hard part really is, is everything that comes after that, which yeah. is, okay, how do I make this? I think sustainability is a really good word. Right. And again, it doesn't come specifically back to money. Everybody talks about like, you know, making my, my YouTube channel sustainable as like a revenue problem. And I think of it much more, and maybe this just speaks to my strengths and weaknesses, I think of it far more as like an operational problem, right? Mm -hmm. And and money plays a part of that, mm -hmm. but it's never like the deciding factor, mm -hmm. right? Because I can always I can always make more money mm -hmm. if I go out and make more videos, or if I can sell more sponsorships, or like mm -hmm. you know, like I think once you are in a place where you have something that people want, regardless of the scale you're at, right? This was true for App Monster, and it's true for Strange Parts. Then it's a question of like, how do you, how do you make the trains run on time? How do you, how do you do sales? How do you produce product? How do you make sure, you know, yeah, like all of that stuff becomes far more a, a bigger issue than do we have something that people want? Yeah. Right? Well, well, sustainability is a, is a, a perfect topic for any business. And it's one that I don't think it really, it gets looked at in the same way. Right. Cause you said like, yeah. it feels like money is the lifeblood. Like cash is like, you need it to operate. You need it to survive. Yeah. You need to pay your employees or buy your materials yeah. or whatever uh, it might be. Um, but it's but, not sufficient in and of itself. No, certainly not. And certainly not at the cost of your sanity and your, right. you know, you know, all that stuff. And so yeah. as, as you've evolved and started to realize like, yeah, I, I mean, I could definitely, optimize and make a ton of money but if it means that i'm like married to the business in a way that yeah. i just don't want to be but doing it anymore. yeah and it's not even that right like it's not of like it's not a matter of like oh i can just make a ton of money at least for me right like it's yeah. it's far more about like okay what 
what processes, what people, what systems do I need to have in place mm-hmm. to go make that money, right? Like I have this zygote of a thing that people want. Mm-hmm. How do I do it more, better, more efficiently, more cost-effective, yeah. like all of those things. And a lot of those problems aren't something that you can just throw money at, right? Yes, like they're something that yeah. really require expertise and, and deep amounts of work. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think that's like a misnomer where, you know, I think a lot of people look at my early success and go, oh, like all his problems are solved. And it's like, it's never been my experience in business. Like the bigger the business gets, the bigger the problems get. Yeah. Right? Like the scarier the whole what thing Where have we gets. heard this before? More, more money, more problems. As they say. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. Really, it's like he knew what he was talking about. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, so we're right now we're in... Um, Frankfurt, Germany, at a uh, a trade show called Form Next. It happens to be like one of the largest additive conferences and yeah. stuff like that. And and watching you operate, you know, walking through here. Now I've I haven't had the luxury of obviously joining you on the streets of Shenzhen or, or in the markets or anything yeah. like that. But I can clearly see how skilled you are in the art of conversation. I mean, even you know, obviously from this. But, oh, well, thanks. But but. But just in your interactions with people and the in the deep knowledge that you, you know, draw from and that you, you know, it was just really interesting. I bet you you could walk just about any trade show and find really fascinating people and I'd things like to, to think talk so. about. I've been to some really boring trade shows, but I'm, I'd like to I'm think sh- so. I'm sure you have, but I mean, you, 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 you're clearly like, okay, I've gotten what I need out of this yeah. conversation, then you go to the next thing. I mean, yeah. like this, there were, you know, many, 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 many booths to, to go to and, and whatnot. Um, is that is that a skill that you've just inherently had, or you've had to hone through the you know the years? The art of just the the. It's it's interesting that you say this because yeah. I wouldn't consider myself a great conversationalist. Um, nah, you're selling yourself short. You're a uh, fantastic conversationalist. I mean, it's definitely something I feel insecure about, and I would say particularly in like networking type situations, I'm very uncomfortable. Oh. Like if this it. If if we had gone to a cocktail party instead of a trade show floor, yeah. very different for me. Really, um, part of part of what's easy about this is like one, there's like a relatively set interaction, right? Like we know we know that they're uh, they're at a booth. Uh-huh. I'm approaching the booth. Yeah, they want to yeah, tell yeah. me about their thing. I want to yeah. learn about their thing, <laughs> and their thing is there, so I can pick it up and talk yeah. about it and ask questions. Yeah. Um. So that makes it easier. Worst case, you could um, run away from the booth, and they pretty much have to stay yeah, exactly. there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what you're getting at. I love that. Okay, go ahead. Um, I but I think like one thing that I've really had to work on is sort of just having the guts to like go out and talk to people. Um, that is so surprising I'm, to hear. Believe it or not, like I'm a hardcore introvert. I like events like this wipe me out. Like okay. just exhaust me. Okay. Um, I could not, I could not be doing this on the regular. Yeah. Um, and I do go to a number of events throughout the year, but I'm like usually destroyed by the end of it. Um, yeah. uh, and I think in particular, like I've had to work on sort of the courage to go out and like just walk up to people and start asking questions and things like that. I'm far, like even here, like I'll sneak up on a booth and be like peering at stuff without, you know, quite catching the attention of the sales guy on purpose. Cause I want to kind of check it out and get a lay of the land before yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. like, if I want to actually engage. defending my presence, you yeah, know, yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. kind of thing. That's interesting. Um, but also like in the markets of Shenzhen, right? Like yeah. going out, like there were, there were, I can remember countless times of like sitting in my apartment or sitting in a hotel room, like trying to psych myself up to go out and shoot and go out and walk the markets. Cause it's like, it's really uncomfortable to like walk in. You're, you're definitely a foreigner. You're definitely an outsider. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. stand out like crazy. 
Um, and I'm not necessarily walking into the markets. Like I'm not necessarily there for the reason they want me to be there. <laughs> if that makes sense. Right. Like I don't run a cell phone repair business in the yeah. U S right. Yeah. I'm not there to buy a hundred thousand of something. Yeah. Um, so I think sort of having like building up the courage and building up the sense of like, no, I belong here and it's okay to like take up space and take up people's time and things like that has been a real learned you know, that's, thing. That's really interesting to hear. And I, I, I'm happy that you share this with people because I think it's a, it's a common uh, conversation I've had with other creators as well yeah. that, uh, that we, we watch these people in their environment online and that, that it is a very different flexed muscle to be um, editing and being in front of a camera yeah. and talking to the camera and presenting things and ideas and telling yeah. stories in that way where you have an editorial process yes. versus going to the cocktail party and all this yes. stuff. And I think we've all had, see, I'm the opposite of you. I'm a highly extroverted individual. And, and to be clear too, like just, I think there's a common misconception too that like, if you're an introvert, it doesn't mean that you can't go up and talk to people. Right. It means you don't derive energy from Correct. it in the same yep. way. Correct. So I get really amped up when I go to these shows and I just get like the, all the creative juices are flowing and I get just really energized and all that yeah. stuff. And yes, I will come down, but then I'll get home and then I just get like, uh, honestly, I get depressed. I like, yeah. I, I'm like, I'm not around my people and I yeah. like, I need to be. So right now, you know, all this travel is actually suited me well. Everybody's like, you're crazy. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I, I love this stuff. Yeah. Um, but there's definitely times where, you know, to go back to the creating content, I am not a content creator. However, I've seen very clear value. He when, says on his podcast. When I put, <laughs> yeah, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a content, I'm not a YouTuber in the way that a, sure. a lot of the people that I inter interact with are. And, um, but I have seen a lot of value in creating uh, content or, or marketing material and what that does for yeah. our sales. Yes. Right. And, and I have the moments that you do as well, where it's just like, I am not in the mood to just be yeah. on for yep. this right now. And it just yeah. doesn't work if I'm like, uh, you know, like I'm not, I'm just not presenting yeah. in a way. So I think this is a common thread for everybody. So it's good yeah. for people to hear that this is normal, even for top tier YouTubers yes. and all that yeah. stuff. So how do you get yourself amped up? Or is it just, you, you're just like, it's okay. And we're going to record tomorrow yeah. or whatever it is. I mean, sometimes it's that sometimes it's, you know, listening to music and like kind of getting the juices flowing that way, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. like I've got a morning routine I'll go through mm -hmm. and like mm -hmm. part of it is committing to every morning, like, you know, haven't taken a shower, getting dressed, doing my hair, doing all of the things that make me a hundred percent, hundred percent presentable to be on camera mm. so that I have zero excuse get, get from that ready. angle. Okay. Right. Like, okay. so I always wear the same t-shirt. I do the same thing. Um, whenever I'm on camera, I own a tons of these shirts. Just black t-shirt. Um, it's like the Steve Jobs. Thing. Yeah. It's not the turtleneck, but yeah. you're right. Yeah. These you're are right like a dark there. blue. They're, a, they're actually, a, uh, yeah, you um, are dark. You are dark blue. They're an icebreaker. So they're a wool shirt. And I started wearing these yeah, for those when I travel. He's describing his outfit. They, they look like a t-shirt, but they're, but they're made out of wool or they're, they're partially wool. Okay. And I wear them because they're antimicrobial. So I can wear the same t-shirt for multiple days in a row without it smelling. <laughs> and you can hand wash them. Okay. And they dry pretty quick. Okay. And so when I'm traveling, particularly in China, for some reason in China, particularly the, a lot of the places I've been, like laundry machines are unobtainium. 
What? And so I end up having to hand wash everything. They hand wash all their clothes? I like, don't like know. Like what? Like in the sink? No. Like how like, does that work? People have small washing machines in their apartments that uh-huh. are really cheap. Yeah. But as a traveler, you just can't get access to a washing machine. So I end up like washing stuff in the shower. And so it's just been this travel hack that I learned. I wish I knew the guy that I learned it from. But anyway, uh, from, from a nomad um, who has a blog who does a gear review every year of like what he's traveling oh, with. this is fascinating. And um, so typically I travel with like three to four of these and, and um, they work really well. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, they're really expensive. <laughs> well, um, but... Um, See, I thought you were going to go with like continuity. Like you're like... Well, that's, this, okay. that's why. Uh, okay. Yeah, so, so I was traveling with these before I started shooting. Yeah. And I've... And I, you can get them in different colors and stuff, but I've settled on this one exact t-shirt. He's a Navy man. And I always wear the same exact thing because then, because I tend to do projects that I shoot over long periods of time and I like to reshoot, particularly intros and conclusions and connector bits and stuff. Yeah. I like to never have to worry about what's going to go with what. About the continuity. And like having to go find the right t-shirt to like reshoot something, right? Like it's hard enough with you know, your background and the you know, sure. daylight and like all of that stuff. Yeah. And like, so, um, so yeah, I mean, it's just a matter of like getting sort of physically, I, I feel like there's something to a ritual of like getting physically ready to shoot. Yeah. Will help, help you get mentally ready to shoot. Yeah. Um, so I think that's part of it. I think part of it is giving yourself the ability to say, you know what, I'm just, I'm not feeling it today, right? And and I would specifically go to, like, when you're a full-time content creator, sometimes you have bad days, right? Like, sometimes there's other stuff going on in your life. You know, you've just yeah. had a breakup or yeah. you had a family member pass away or you've just had a fight with your significant other, sure. or like, whatever it is, right? And if that, like, I try and be as genuine as possible as I can in my content, but yeah. sometimes that can't be part of the story, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, like yeah, often yeah, yeah. that can't be part of the story for those types of things. Yeah. Um, or the thing that I need to shoot today is me being super jazzed up about something. Yeah. And I, I, that's not how I'm feeling. And sometimes yeah. it's just to like grin and bear it and suck it up and act it, you yeah. know? And like, yeah. it doesn't matter how you're feeling. That's part of your, like part of your job is to, yeah, is yeah. to be who you need to be on camera. And like I play myself on camera. Like I don't play another character. Yeah. But the character that I play on camera, even though he's called Scotty as well, yeah. it's Strange Parts Scotty. Yeah. And Strange Parts Scotty is not all of off camera Scotty, right? Do you find that when you interact with people in real life that they uh you know have an expectation of what yes. Strange Parts yes. Scotty is and then there yep. are you I, 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 you, to me, you, I don't know. I, They're pretty close. I, it seems like it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty, pretty close. close. But the guy behind um, the guy is not necessarily the same guy. Is what and you're like day to day, like, yeah. you know, like real life Scotty gets depressed sometimes. Like on camera Scotty, like. <laughs> real life Scotty's sad today. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Like yeah. sometimes he has bad days. Sometimes he's really grumpy. I'm rarely <laughs> grumpy on camera. Right. Like. <laughs> I sometimes I would love to see how that like, plays. You know, I'm rarely like angry on camera, right? I don't tend to yell at people <laughs> on strange parts. I would um, watch that video though. Yeah. I would like, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah um, you know, Scotty there have definitely been moments on camera where I've been like depressed because the project is going terribly kind of thing. Uh, right. Yeah, so, so yeah. sometimes it fits in the story. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would say the other piece when we talk about people who are reluctant to be on camera is to realize that being on camera is a learned skill. Yes. And it is a skill that I am convinced because I have been through the process that anybody can learn. Yeah. Um, It is not the case that I was born with the innate ability to be on camera. 
not true. And I actually give a talk called Storytelling for Hackers mm. that, that talks about some of this. And one of the things that I do in that talk is I show one of the very first takes of me talking to camera for that first iPhone story. Mm -hmm. And it is me incredibly uncomfortable and can't figure, like can barely get out oh, of sentence. Oh, that's fantastic. And I'm doing it, you know, I'm doing kind of starting over and kind of thing. And I kind of, you know, I purposely don't edit it down so that the audi audience can kind of feel the... The awkward. The awkwardness yeah. and the like uncomfortableness. Yeah. Um, and basically to say like I like when I started I was incredibly uncomfortable on camera mm -hmm. uh, and like most people did not like the sound of my voice yeah, right no and I bet you have probably experienced this as well when you spend enough time listening to your own voice during editing yeah. and and watching yourself if you if you've done a lot of video yeah that goes away it already did for me yeah, um, I tolerate it. I still don't like the sound mm -hmm. of my voice. I feel like I sound nasally, but we're all so critical of that. You know, it's weird. Yeah, I, but you're right. I think you do get numb to it. Sure. I at least got to the point where um, my voice sounds like my voice. Like I no longer have a separation between the voice that I hear mm -hmm. through my ears when I speak and the voice that I hear when I play myself back recorded. Yeah. Like those feel like the, and when I look at myself, like those feel like the same person. Um, and it's actually been this really interesting personal growth element, which is that it helped me be a lot more comfortable with who I am. Hmm. Like I, I have found that's really a great nugget. I want to stay with that for just yeah. a second. No, and I'm I'm going to go one step further. Do it, it, do it. Yeah. So I have found that when I am editing, particularly if I'm like really digging into an edit, mm -hmm. um, I develop a lot of empathy for the people that I'm editing. Right. Like I I rarely edit something with like an antagonistic approach to the people that I'm editing. I, if I worked on different content, maybe I'd feel differently. But by the time I'm done with an edit, if I'm doing the edit soup to nuts, and I, I mostly don't edit my own stuff now. Like I have editors and I, I work with them, but I'm not, I'm not the guy in You're the trenches. You're not the guy, yeah, okay. Um, if I'm the guy in the trenches, I will come out with this like kind of deep love for everybody that I've edited in an episode, mm. which is really interesting. Like even people that like I've had conflict with or whatever, mm -hmm. like I've just spent so much time trying to tell their story as part of whatever it is that like it develops this like empathy and love. And I found that that same empathy and love comes out towards myself as well. Even when I'm showing myself screw up or things like that. Like I found this like, I don't know, there's there's sort of like peace. Yeah, I keep coming back to like, like peace and empathy and love towards whoever the subject is, even if it's myself. And that's been transformative for me as a person, like what a great a big inflection point. I don't think we think um, about the value of, of presenting in front of the camera for self-improvement in that yeah. way. But, but that's a really fascinating and great point. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, and I think I've been lucky that the things that I, I was bullied really heavily as a kid in school. And I think, and the things that I was bullied for are the things that I'm now celebrated for. So it's been particularly transformative for me of like the things, the reason that I am well known now in the communities I'm well known in mm -hmm. are things that I was once attacked for. And so that like 
that helps. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Scotty, I want to thank you for yeah. sharing so much of yourself, obviously, yeah. with this and your time. I mean, I could, I, we could go on for days. I always love yeah. having conversations with you and stuff, and, and maybe we'll have to have you back at some point to hear more about, you know, what the next chapter brings. Because like you mentioned, you're kind of an interesting transition time now yes. as you as you move yeah. forward. But I have every faith in you, your abilities well, and just knowing from, you know, the, the storied history you've built on top of that you know, whatever you end up doing is just going to be you know fantastic well, thank and i you. can't wait to see it thank you this uh, has been a pleasure if you're if you're listening here if you guys haven't if you're not familiar please do go seek out the channel it is fantastic content it's called strange parts on uh youtube you can also yep. check out strangeparts.com i believe yep mm -hmm. uh for more uh interesting ideas and, and photos and videos and and maybe even some product ideas in the future yes. yeah. yeah yeah it's yeah. exciting stuff on the way oh fantastic scotty Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. All right. Take care.